is Thrive Perspectives, an ever-growing discussion about the issues and ideas that shape our lives with your guide, Dr. Matthew Jacoby. Hi listeners, Stuart here from Thrive Today. You know, many people tune in to a Thrive podcast every week. We're really encouraged by the feedback we receive on how these podcasts are impacting people's lives in very real ways and equipping them as they grow in their faith. Now, our hope and desire is to continue to make these podcasts available for free. However, there is a very real cost to make this happen. This is where you can help us. If you'd like to contribute to assist us in meeting these ongoing production and distribution costs, then please join our listener support program with a monthly subscription. Now, you can do this very quickly and simply. Just go to thrivetoday.tv. That's our website, thrivetoday, one word, dot TV. At the top of the homepage, you'll see a button that says Donate. This will give you the option to support the Thrive Podcast with a donation of 5 or 10 or $50 per month. You can set your own support level. So we hope you'll consider supporting this ministry in this way. Again, to those who are monthly supporters, a huge thank you to you. Your contribution is helping us continue to provide these Thrive Podcasts for free. So it's easy. Visit thrivetoday.tv. Click on the donate button. We thank you for your support by tuning in, but also by contributing financially in this way. Now let's jump into this episode of Thrive with Matt. Good morning, Connell. Good morning, Matt. Here we are. Here we are. Sitting at the new podcast tabletop, Mm. which we got especially for Connell because he'd been complaining they just didn't have enough room at the end of the table there, but we've now given them lots of room. And I didn't even notice. It's looking, very, it's looking very fancy in here, folks, if yeah. you can imagine. Uh, yeah. Well, that's interesting. You might not need to imagine soon as we get into the oh, conversation. Oh, we've got an interesting today. conversation we sure today. Have. We sure have. So It uh, was hard, actually, to not start the conversation off mic. It was like, stop! <laughs> let's, let's involve everyone in this conversation. Sounds good. Well, welcome Thrive Perspectives as we continue our journey through a reflection on what a Christian worldview is and how that applies to, to the challenges and opportunities that we face in society today. And we're going to sort of continue on a little bit uh, from our conversation last week where we were looking at technology and mm. how technology impacts and has impacted and continues to impact our lives last week. We spoke a bit about the development of AI, and if you haven't had a chance to have a look into what AI is, if you haven't already, um, just do a Google search and you'll find out a bit about that. But the way that there's a significant level of convergence now between uh, what's called artificial intelligence and other technologies, and it's really going to see an incredible acceleration in the change of the way we live over the next you know, decade, uh, and even potentially sooner than that. Today, we want to sort of talk a little bit about relationships and how technology has, uh, is, and in the future is likely to significantly impact mm. uh, our relationships. Uh, what is a relationship? Why? What, what makes us human in terms mm. of our relationships with other people, uh, given that people are now uh, developing somewhat intimate relationships, certainly mm. from a conversational point of view, mm. with, with AI chatbots. You know, mm. they're, they're having conversations, they're sharing their concerns, and uh, there's quite a bit of research starting to come out now where people are finding it safer in some ways. 
but to have a relationship with a machine, mm. an artificial intelligence machine, than they are with with people. Mm. Uh, and I think you know this is this is kind of accelerating. Uh, but I think also we've already stepped into this over the last decade, probably with the you know phones and technology mm. that we're already using is impacting. I think the way we yeah. engage with other people. So yeah, I mean, where do we start? Because you know you can go back and back, and and there's this gradual sort of fragmentation of relationships. I mean. Well, as Christians, we would go back to the, to the fall and, you know, from right from the start, you see a fragmentation of relationships. The first thing after the fall is Cain and Abel and their fragmentation. Cain goes off, builds a fortress. Mm. It says in, in our Bibles, builds a city. But that's, man, that's fragmentation because by a city meant, is meant a an actual fortress, yeah, walled, walls, you know, walled city. So suddenly you've got, you know, I mean, not suddenly. This is just, this is very sort of summary history, but you've got people living in wall, you know, walled cities and a very fragmented uh, humanity. And that's kind of the trajectory the biblical narrative pictures initially. Uh, human beings as completely connected. I mean, the, the you know the famous biblical image is the man and the woman, two halves of a whole, right? Yeah, and and that's in a sense a picture of this this sense of humanity as so knit together like a almost like a sort of a one big neural net beautiful neural network all connected and sharing this wonderful experience and and in many ways embodying the 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 image of god and and being completely united with god and with each other and and it's you know it's so difficult to imagine that you know, I, I don't think you can almost go too far in imagining the level of connection with God and each other that was had in that state. And it's difficult to imagine because there's just been this stages of uh, of of disconnection. And, you know, you look you, you look at that through history and even, you know, talking about technology, you know, one of the big things about the Industrial Revolution in the 19th century was the way that it fragmented societies. You know, people mo- moved out of rural communities. They moved into urban centres. There was um, a sense of alienation from the sense of place that they had previously. Yeah. They're all crowded into cities, sense of loss of identity. And then, you know, and then they're working in factories and, and they become they're like treated as sort of order martyr and... Just coming before you, know, you move past that, the whole urbanization thing, it's interesting if you look at some research around fences. Mm. You know, we used to live in, in properties, you know, in houses that didn't have these fences. Yeah. Now we build these as high as we can fences around our property because this is our space. And That's we, right. We actually, how many people, I mean, I, I know a number of people, don't even know who their neighbors are. Yeah, that's right. Who live right next door to them. Yeah. Hmm. So it's already, it, it's it's like this built-in trajectory of fragmentation. Hmm. We keep trying to, and one of the interesting uh, other things that goes along th- through that. So this is just starting for a bit of no, a big great. picture worldview picture. The interesting thing in scripture is that you get this fragmentation and then against over against that you get these human attempts. And we even see this in the Bible, these human attempts to force some kind of unity or to yeah. create some what, what I describe as sort of artificial unity. So the classic thing about the Tower of Babel, and of course Babylon really stands for the it's almost symbolic of the that human propensity to empire and and, and I may say a very totalitarian empire, you know, to, to gather everyone together, you know, under fear and threats and all sorts of things. And then you see that just being broken one after, you know, that these these artificial attempts to artificially sort of unite people and break them again. It's very interesting, actually, against that backdrop to note how uh, incredibly 
counterculture for its time. So many elements of the law of Moses were the ideas of community and the law, laws of Moses and the fact that they they couldn't own their own land. It all belonged to God and they had to share. And then they all of these ideas of sharing. And so so many of the laws were designed to facilitate a strong sense of community. And, and of course, you see this in the New Testament the, in Acts chapter 2, the outcome of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is shown to be they were all one in heart. You know, this sense of oneness that they had. So it's you get these two things in, in you know, in the world system, you get this kind of fragmentation and these attempts to draw things into sort of an artificial unity. Under our own terms, though. I, I would suggest that we'll come terms. to that later because the terms of that artificial yeah. eliminate some of the things that actually hold us accountable, yeah. I think. Yeah. But we'll, we'll come and, to that. And they're always dehumanizing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Always dehumanizing. And so, like, I think I think as we as we map, you know, the role of of technology and and as I said, I mean the the industrial revolution was a technological you know revolution and and this is what I think it's Klaus Schwab refers to the fourth industrial revolution as this what we're experiencing now, which is a game changer in terms of how again it's another game changer in terms of how human beings relate to each other and therefore as people pointed out during the 19th century industrial revolution it's a game changer for human identity human identity fundamentally changes alongside the technology uh, that that we use to manipulate the world and as much as we use technology to manipulate our world that technology manipulates us mm. and that's the thing that we can easily miss and so I guess um, we've got to think discerningly as Christians and be aware of how is our technology? shaping us. We're in a, I think, really interesting place right now, and you yeah. guys have done lots of great uh, research uh, on, on some of these things that are happening. Now, I don't know where you want to start here, Stu. Well, Connell, have you got a bit of an opening remark that's less than half well, an hour? Or? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I haven't got as many words as that. It's, it's built into us, isn't it? The need for community. It's, we were hardwired. Yeah, it's almost, right. that was God's plan right from the beginning, yep. was for, that's, if you actually get down to the the nuts and bolts mm. of framing Christian worldview and what mm. God designed us to mm. be is to be in connection and yeah. harmony and mm. with with Him and 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 with each other. And maybe the greatest level of dysfunction is when we disconnect from each other and stop functioning as a cohesive community. Mm. You know, with it within ourselves. And if you think about it too, that's what essentially that sin does. It is creates dysfunction, and, and it, if we're hardwired by God to be seeking community in relationships and 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 so on, if we're hardwired for that, the reason that we it's almost like right from the starting blocks, mm. we start pushing away, building walls, segregating, dehumanizing, mm. devaluing, mm. and and so on. We start that whole process. Why is that? Well, ultimately, I guess it comes back to to sin and the the need. You know, we we get jealous, or we need to control people. We try to grab power, and in order for us to achieve our objectives, we've got to behave in certain ways that pushes against that. Mm. That so that's the ultimate problem here. The problem isn't technology. No. You know, we want to be careful there. Yeah, totally. So, mm. Because it doesn't matter what what technology that we're talking about. 
it's just they're a tool in our hands, and our hands are kind of evil mm. in terms of mm. how we. Well, let's use let, let's let's define. I mean, you mentioned the word sin a couple of times. Mm. The best definition I think for sin is in. Is independence and autonomy. It's well, yeah. autonomy really. That's actually how Christopher Watkins in this book, Biblical mm. Criti- Critical Theory, which we'll talk uh, more about, and I think we've mentioned before, which is an excellent book, won the Christianity Today Book of the Year. Uh, he comes back to that defining sin as auto- essentially it's autonomy. And now you think about autonomy and how the the effect that that has on human relationships. That yes, we all are wired to need relationships, but we want that on our own terms yeah. in a way that preserves our autonomy, which is enormously dysfunctional because it's actually uh, completely antithetical mm. to uh, you know the idea of relationships, which involved a real sense of sharing of trust and a level of togetherness that just is discordant with the idea of autonomy. You know, it's interesting that these these changes to talk about this technological progress happens. So incrementally, you know, yeah. uh, y- you were making a, a comment off Mike Stewart just about the step from PCs to laptops. Yeah. Well, the fact that, you know, when, when computers stayed at work, I mean, you wouldn't pack up the big box and take it home. Yeah. As soon as we got that portable, suddenly it's like, oh, I'll just take half an hour to quickly finish this letter at the <clears> time or whatever it might have been, now emails. And if you think about how much now... Mm. Uh, time at home on com- devices of some kind interferes mm. with our direct relationship, even with our immediate with our immediate family. Mm. You know, I think in the research, and I don't know where we want to jump in here. Uh, you know, that I've done, particularly in relation to people trying to engage with AI and all those sorts of things. It's actually around, as you said, getting the relationship on our terms, mm. which means you rule out how you learn humility. Mm. You rule out people being able to kind of say to you, "Hey, that's not a great attitude, Stu." That well, accountability just, thing. Just, just explain what you're talking about there, Stu, because uh, you're talking about a scenario where people are relating to AI, and, and some of our listeners may be a little incredulous about that. But sure. I think this is a thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, totally. So uh, I've, I've read an academic paper, uh, the organization called Human Communication Research in Norway did a study on people because they recognized increasing number of people were engaging in in what they would call intimate relationships with AI chatbots. Mm. Uh, we're just talking about chatbots. And they wanted to find out from this group of people, you know, how they defined a friend, what, what was it that was attracting them to that uh, and, and not. Mm. Uh, and these people had long-term kind of, you know, over 18 months relationships with mm. this chatbot where they they would every day or as often as they wanted engage mm. in conversation, uh, ask questions, all those sorts of things. And it talked about, uh, first of all, well, how do we define what a relationship is, what friendship is, and then how do these chatbots actually meet that criteria? Uh, where are the shortcomings currently anyway? And and so, yeah, there, and this is a there's a growing number of people. There's a growing number of the, we hear about chat GPT, but there's a number of different chatbots out there. You know, many, many, many of them, and people are beginning to engage in relationships. Mm. And they tried to ask the people the reasons for that. Uh, and interesting, those reasons, you know, uh, talking about the ability to trust. Uh, I think there was an element where people s- said one of the things they did miss was the accountability, where someone was willing to push back because the chatbot's only ever going to tell you really what mm. you want to hear. Yeah. The ex- shared experience, you know, like the chatbots, until you engage with it, it's not knowing yeah. or doing anything, yeah. you can't say, oh, I remember that time we were out on the beach and we saw that, da, da, da. Mm. you know, you can't have. So all of these things, they were identifying the shortcomings. Mm. But the interesting thing was, as we look at this and we look at technology and you look at the research, and I, I read another email, in fact, I forwarded it to you last night, Matt, um, around, you know, the greatest 
issue that society globally really is dealing with right now is isol- loneliness and isolation, mm. social isolation mm. and loneliness. So I guess the question I started to ask is rather than, as you said, Connell, that, and these guys said the technology is not evil because there's a lot of positive stuff that technologies have been able to, to do for us. I can communicate with my relatives overseas instantly. I can send them photos instantly, you know, mm. so the ability of social media and all these sorts of things has, has certainly there's positive uses for that. Mm. Uh, and it's, and, and, and even if you look at healthcare and a whole lot of things, you know, the whole virtual kind of mm. way that we can engage with our doctors or whatever it might be. So it's not that the technology is bad. It's just how that technology is being used. And it got me asking the question, what have we lost where someone decides that a relationship with a machine mm. is actually of better value? than a relationship mm. with another human being. Mm. Instead of pointing the fault at the machine or at the technology or at the advances in, in technology, maybe we need to ask ourselves the question, are we just too busy for relationships? Well, a lot of the social researchers, if you go look, look at, which I had a look at in sort of reading for this, mm. in preparation for this, and I was surprised really, I guess it's going back, you know, like over five to 10 years with social researchers flagging up uh, we're starting to see a problem here. Mm. This has always been a problem, you know, how we dehumanize people and disconnect from this has been an increasing problem all through history, yeah. which is what we said before. But they're starting to say, look, this is picking up pace. Like people are more lonely and untrusting than they've ever been. And there's a whole lot of different things driving that. But that feeds into what you're saying there, Stu, because yeah. I think people are looking to say a chatbot because they're already feeling. That, that loneliness mm. and that disconnection. And so, and I think even for ourselves, I mean, I have this conversation with people all the time when we look at, it, especially our young people dealing with seemingly higher levels of anxiety mm. and mental illness and struggling to cope in the world. Mm. There's a whole lot of different factors for that. But, you know, with that going back to the good old days, but when I look back to when I was a kid, I don't think... It was as bad as what it is today. No, and I, I, I think that's fairly generally agreed. And I believe that, you know, the technology is a is cited as a big player mm-hmm. uh, in that everything that I've read recognizes that there is a there's a sense in which technology going, you know, and of course the adv- advent of social media has mm-hmm. been a big a big player yeah. in this as well. So the question though is what about the technology? Because it's not yeah. just the technology. Yeah. And my observation, you know, even with my own kids growing up, a big part of it would be no one really knows what's the truth anymore because what you see on social media is often the best possible view. And then you start to get all these conflicting, whereas when I grew up, what I saw on the news or what my parents told me, it was like, I, I just didn't have to question that. But now there's yeah. so many, count, there's access to so many countering. And that would be a, a pro as well as a con, you know, that scene Could as, be. I would argue, having access to that information, being able to get all sides of opinions and access mm. information from all sorts of different biases is, 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 a, is a good thing. The issue there though is like social media controls what you Correct. see. It makes you think you're doing the research yes. or you're getting a wide variety of yeah, opinion totally. when actually it's being carefully orchestrated by technology yeah. along the lines of your already predetermined Bec- bias mm. that it's figured out. So that yep. it's manipulate. It is manipulating us. I mean, anyone who's seen that documentary, the um, oh, social dilemma, the social, social dilemma, dilemma on Facebook, mm. is is alarming as mm. well. With the basic people who are part of 
you know, worked at Facebook and mm. saying that we don't let our kids use Facebook. We know mm. what we're, what's going on. We know the amount of psych, yeah. psychology. This, this thing is not, it's mm. not innocent. It is manipulating what mm. people think. And mm. that's, that's alarming. So can I just come back to that? Cause I agree. It is, it is positive, but I think the negative here is that life experience is what actually informs us to discern. And they're getting this information, this massive amount of information without any sense of life experience with parents. And I'm pointing you know, at myself as much as anyone else here, not accusing parents out there, but who are busy working mm-hmm. to maintain a lifestyle, mm-hmm. who don't have the time for the conversations, the important conversations about what matters and what doesn't matter. And they're having to discern this themselves. And I think it's just overwhelming them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's well, just completely overwhelming. Them. But the problem is, is the, it's the, like say social media in itself, but then because it's a tool of convenience yes. as parents, we can leave our kids sitting in front of social media or mm. in front of their iPads and, and so on. And mm. cause, you, cause it's convenient and we're busy. for us. So there's a, there's a whole multiple layers of mm. problems that are, essentially, I think what's happening is we are giving up on things for mm. convenience. If you tie all of this back down to technology, mm. it's making things very, very easy and convenient for mm. us. So we could just sort of give up or or let go or take the easy way out. Mm. And we could just sit in front of a screen and consume stuff mm. and allow these things to, and it's, it's not just, you know, basically raise our children, but it also makes it easy for, for us to be entertained. And, and the interesting thing about all of this at the moment, we've sort of got the doomsday flag up, but I, I, I do want to flag, put yeah, another, of course. you know, like anticipate another flag here, because I think there's another massive, there's something massive here, I think, for Christians and for the Christian church. I think actually we carry something that is going to be seen as in, increasingly unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and so I think there's a really important role for the Christian church to play in this. But, you know, I mean, what, what we're seeing in sort of summary terms is human beings being able to do more. We can manipulate our reality, but we all know, this is the interesting thing about this, everyone knows that this is doing damage. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of the analysis and this, you know, and, 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 you know, listeners may be even getting a little bit tired about hearing all of this, you know, constant sort of doomsday stuff around technology and AI. I mean, depends what you listen to, uh, I guess, doesn't it? But it's interesting that there is that consciousness that this is doing something to us. Even, even a lot of secular thinkers are saying this is dehumanizing us in some way. Uh, now, where they get their idea of humanity uh, from I don't know, but but there still is that sense of dehumanizing, well, and yet yet they acknowledge we can't really stop it. Yeah. You know, you can't stand in the way of progress. It's I mean, um, uh, Mustafa Suleiman in his book The Coming Wave, he says, it was a very recent book. Basically, says here are all the problems, and there's not you realistically, you can't really put reins on. You can't really rein in progress. It's it's just mm-hmm. going to happen. And so we're, we're, it's an interesting, it is an interesting dilemma because on the one hand, everyone sort of knows that this is a very problematic trajectory and yet we can't stop it, even though it's human beings that are creating this. Yeah, that's which right. Which is a very interesting scenario. And even secular researchers are noticing it. I would say this is probably not even something... I'd say it's mostly probably secular researchers that are noticing it. Yeah. As researching the condition of us, especially social 
the social sign in the yeah. social science area. Yeah. And so they're observing and becoming concerned because it's this is not this is not like a, a Christian problem. And I think even as as Christians, we're probably falling behind in terms of our our thinking. We're mm. actually very passive on this. The the secular world, mm. secular researchers are very actively mm. thinking about this. They see a not just you know they see technology is a massive massive problem. You know, but they're also reading the research that, you know, they start off their research papers and they're always talking about what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to dehumanize? And we're talking about what is the value of being human? You know, what do we recognize? in that? It's what you recognize in other people. And the different criteria of you will recognize that they, they have some sort of innate value, that they have complex minds and emotions and feelings and and things like so that you can see them grappling then with what does it really mean to be human and of course with without a christian worldview yeah that's and that that's, speaks to matt's point where he says we've got a unique thing here we yeah, do that's right yeah we do yeah we have have, have that absolutely that we need to be speaking about because to- i mean the other thing is that the techno optimists and, and and i've read a you know bit across this mm. field about how you know how various thinkers are responding you know, to this, and there's a there's a stream of sort of techno optimism where they're saying, well, be, to be human is a fluid thing. There isn't a fixed sort of essence, so we we will just have to adapt. And all of the problems are just the growing pains, right? So we're moving, they say, uh, into the age of transhumanism, right, where we can actually manipulate not only ourselves but manipulate our reality in. Yuval Noah Harari's terms, this is us moving from homo sapiens, no less. I mean, this is this is how revolutionary he thinks this is. We're moving from being homo sapiens to being homo deus. And he uses that term because now we are becoming gods. We can manipulate ourselves and our environment to the extent that we have this level of sort of power over our own reality in some sense. Mm. You know, do we re- I mean, then and then it replies, well, do we really? And from a Christian point of view, believing, no, we do actually have a fixed essence and there are just some things we are always going to need. And so we would say, no, there are some things that could actually fundamentally dehumanize us. Uh, in fact, from a Christian worldview perspective, we would argue that the dehumanizing process has been going on since Adam mm-hmm. and Eve yes. yeah. ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Yeah. So there's been this successive dehumanizing process. Uh, there, there are a lot of philosophers who would you know, take that right back to the move from the Paleolithic to the Neolithic, you know, the domesticating crops, mm-hmm. uh, as mm-hmm. Jared Diamond says Jared Diamond wrote a very famous book called Guns, Germs and Steel, and he's done a lot of kind of paleo, sort of his, like almost pre-human prehistory, work in prehistory, and uh, he's a very influential thinker. And I mean, he, you know, he says that pretty much when we domesticated crops, we actually domesticated ourselves in a way that, you know, and as much as we did something kind of unnatural with our environment, we also did something very unnatural to, to ourselves. ourselves. Yeah. And so, hence, by domesticating crops, you know, we started doing work that wasn't really natural for us. I mean, this, and interestingly, this is something even Harari, and Yuval Noah Harari is a, a philosopher, academic historian. And I mean, even, you know, he admits in his book, Sapiens, that, you know, we d- we he picks up this point. We did something that was really unnatural to ourselves. We we started 
domesticating crops, domesticating animals. It's where a lot of diseases ca- came from. Mm. Uh, it's where our nutrition suffered from that. We started to do work that was unnatural to us. The walls. It, it, <clears throat> yeah, we started building walled cities because suddenly there was possession and suddenly land you know, was owned, moving from the but sort of hunter-gatherer <laughs> society. It made it easier for us too. Yeah, to and, get food and, and uh, it did, but, but they say, that. and here's where this keeps coming up. Mm. They say, but it was dehumanizing, right? Yeah. They're saying this about the Neolithic period, yeah. no, no less. You know, yeah. so so it's like, and and reading this as a Christian, I can say Amen to that because what I think we would see from, as I said, the moment the human beings ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, this not just one fall. But a, mm. a very long fall, because the more powerful we become, the more we can do. And you know, it's no use talking about progress. Progress is no good uh, if you're going in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. the mm. more you progress, the the further you go in the wrong direction. Yeah. Now we should also recognise the kingdom of God is at hand, right? And, yes. and when Jesus said that, he meant the kingdom of God is present in the world and at and at work. So there are a lot of amazing things in our society mm. that are the result of the seed of of the kingdom uh seeding ideas so the very idea that i think a lot of people revert to when they talk about dehumanization and this is a point that tom holland uh makes in his book dominion and and elsewhere uh, tom holland is a british historian he says pretty much all of that kind of thinking and that very reaction comes out of a Christian garden bed. Mm, yeah. You know, it's it's a response. It's essentially a Christian response. A lot of the language, the idea of being dehumanized, and 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 this is why you know the techno optimists say, no, no, we need to let all that go. That's we yeah. need to move beyond all of that. Yeah, and 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 just recognize and that we're evolving, and this is transhumanism. And to define that for, mm. for listeners, you know, transhumanism is a way of describing our ability to genetically and technologically upgrade mm. ourselves and to fundamentally change our humanity. Some, They're all for that. That's this is just evolution. Well, it's just all, ev- yeah, yeah, that's that's some people saying yeah. it's just it's just evolution. Yeah. It's just it's just yes, exactly what it is, you know. And you can wrong. understand why they would. Without a biblical worldview, you can totally understand why yeah. they would they would assume that even if it's a bit scary to them, I think you could totally understand that. I want to come back to a couple of things and then yeah. you guys can pick it up again. You know, one of the things I think right from the Garden of Eden and then all the way through, if you think about the common denominator, even as you said, Connell, you know, the crops thing is to make it easier for ourselves. It's about providing for ourselves, not trusting in God mm. to be our provider. And and then everyone tries to sell the advancements in technologies. It's going to give us more leisure time. But actually, because we're greedy by nature, we actually just want to use it to make more. Yeah, that's we want more. Yeah, we want yeah. more. We want more. We want more. And so, the more we want, the less we have time to actually just be walking through the garden mm. with the Lord. In yeah, a sense, that's right. We, we just we're too busy because it, we're making more. But yeah. it's like a kind of um, it's an amplifier. I see the, and this is why I don't like to get hung up on the specific technologies. Yeah, yeah. you know, or it's social media, mm. or it's no. it, you can't put your finger on the technologies itself, it's the combined effect of it. It amplifies our capability yeah. to dehumanize, you mm. know, you know, or to, to disconnect. Yeah. So that might've been cultivating crops and trans, you know, farming mm. and, and so on, or farming methods. So nothing there against farmers. Nothing, no, by the totally, way. nothing <laughs> against that. But, yeah. And that's, the, but the capacity for that 
I mean, that had a profound impact on how, how we, yeah. you know, function as a society. But it's it's almost like nothing in comparison to the impact that technology has to disconnect us mm. as a community. If you look at technology, it keeps us permanently distracted. I mean, you try mm. having a conversation with people that have got one eye on their phone. Totally. You get together, people are, almost everybody in the room is just sitting there looking at the phone. Well, permanently distracted and disconnected from what's happening around us. And that's just a subtle, nothing intentional, but we're just drawn into it. You try not looking at your phone for more than five minutes and you'll start to feel this Mm. prompting within you to go, I better just check to see if I've got a message Mm. or is a new thing that's popped up somewhere Mm. that I I need to read. And And before you move on, the flip side of that is people on the other end expect you to reply straight away. Yes. Mm, you know, right. there's yeah. a, the expectations, everyone, in terms of how we engage with each other. It's like, it, I sent you a yeah. message three seconds ago. Yeah. How come you haven't replied? And a lot of our communication is mediated through through these mediums. So, so yeah. And that that's kind of problematic as well. I, I'm keen, Connell, for you to get on yeah. once you've made okay. this point and talk about this next big thing because you've been researching uh, some new technology that's just come out. Researching is a loose, a loose. <laughs> He's been watching the news. <laughs> Just watching. The- <laughs> and these are some of the points that I sort of came out from yeah, this. Great. I'll get. I'll get to that. I think there's, in terms of technology, how it's changing. We're permanently distracted. It's reducing our cognitive capabilities. Yeah, totally. So, be, and this comes back to the even with the underlying problem with changing our farming methods to make mm. everything easier. Yeah. Take the electronic calculator for example you know before there was a calculator you had to be able to do mental arithmetic and then the calculator yeah. comes along and now i could just use the calculator yeah. so don't even I lose, try. we don't even I lose try. the ability yeah. to do mental ar- mm. arithmetic i'm losing my ability to, to handwrite because yeah. I, I just can type so much quicker and everything and sometimes i've got to write something on a piece of paper and my, i'm looking uh, at yeah. my handwriting and it's appalling yeah. now and it's actually hard my fingers yeah. don't really even want to move that so mm. we're reducing our cognitive capability so the easier that we can acquire information and the quicker we can connect to people and the quicker we can get answers back it changes us yeah. Mm-hmm. From a behavior perspective, yeah, that's we right. actually yeah. lose to control yeah. some of those thinking muscles and, and yeah, so that's on right. that, yeah. that are necessary and really important. So we'd be sort of become weak in, in, in areas. So as a society, it's, it's changing us and we become less satisfied with our natural lives and we become addicted to the hyped up, supercharged life that technology gives us. Yeah. And that in itself becomes addicted. And then because of that addiction, we actually become more attached to technology. Mm. So we actually can't disconnect even if we wanted to, because now that everybody's on it, if you want to disconnect from that, you essentially have to disconnect from the world. So, And and this is because it's quick and easy. It's like the quick and easy fix of things that we want deep down, Mm. you know, connection and a feeling of being connected and... But because we get in getting in these these in these short sharp sort of doses, yeah, we naturally find yeah. it. It's that late, and it's that laziness. And you don't have to go out looking for stuff anymore. It's just immediately available to us, whatever we want. So yeah, we, we shop online. We have it delivered to our door. We get our food. I haven't, delivered. I haven't done that yet. I still go to the shops. Am I old? Sh- yeah. I, I must be old-fashioned, yeah. Connell. But <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I still go to the shop. <laughs> Sometimes a lot of the time I can't be bothered. I just do it online. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not worth the hassle. 
and yeah, entertainment. Just sit down, punch, press a button, and they're immediately entertained with whatever I want to consume. So every, and, and, and a- increasingly more sensational. Yeah, which in in, in my view, a, a, as is pointed out, a lot of these things are happening faster than we adapt. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what we take as real emotionally our emotional response. You might watch a TV series and that is affecting your sense, your mm. lens on reality. And even when you know it's fiction, but it profoundly affects yeah. the way that you see life, your values. Like a drug almost. Well, because it changes. Well, well there, there is the drug element because there's the, there's the entertainment fix, right? Because yeah. we, we need our entertainment fix because we are, and I've said this in a previous episode, mm. You know, I think we are entertainment addicted, stimulation addicted. It's very difficult for us not to have stimulation. This is, you know, it's like, and the shorter, you know, this is where things like TikTok and the little, the reels and the, it's just those little hits of sort of entertainment. So there's all of that happening, certainly. But as I've said before, I think it is fundamentally disorienting our desi- our desires and our the lens really through which we access lives and our expectation of life and i mean i've referred referred to it as narrative dysphoria mm. um because even even as a christian like i know that yes i'm i'm in the biblical story right i'm in the story of reality that the bible sets out but i have found that a certain level of exposure to entertainment media really knocks that it, it knocks my al- alignment yep. with that reality and and i start to find the my lens getting very distorted, mm-hmm. and uh, and and I I believe it's a, it's a kind of dysphoric experience. Yeah. So instead of having to go to the cinema, for example, to could watch a new movie, that took a little bit more effort. You know, you had to actually plan around uh, it, cost you money, so you, to get that kind mm. of hit. Uh, and then what happens is that now comes to us in the form of well, we can just access it instantly from anything, anything mm. we want to watch at any time, we can watch it straight away. And then it becomes, in those little clips, the little YouTube clips and things like that, it, it means that we can consume that feeling mm. quicker and more accessible mm. than we've ever... So everything gets easier and gets closer to us so that it takes less effort on our part to engage mm. in any of those things. And mm. it, this is the... It's the speeding up. That's the underlying problem. Mm. You know, it's it's making it more accessible, more immediately accessible. So then we we engage. Like I am addicted to YouTube clips. I just feel completely driven to consume. You know, these five minute <laughs> thing, and I'll sit there on it, and I'll click my way through quickly, yeah. and I'm off and on to the next one. Constantly consume, and yeah. I know that I am completely. Yeah. I can feel that drive in myself of trying to find something else that's of interest to me, and then sometimes there's nothing on there that I want to look at, or I've watched it all, and there's a disappointment, and then I'll come back an hour later and see if it's been refreshed. I recognise it inside myself, mm. but it, if I had to actually go to the library to get information. It's putting a big, di- a big yeah. distance between my ability to consume it and actually, it just makes it so accessible. And this mm. is the point I was going to make before: is that it's the speeding up, mm. and it's the sense that I'm attached to things and I can't physically get away from it, even if even if I wanted to. 
Matt, I reckon what we might do is in the next episode, we might talk about the future technologies and what's coming because I feel like there's still a bit to talk about oh, here, yeah, where we're up to, stuff where we're up to now. Could, yeah. And I think, I mean, we'll, we'll come to that. Yeah. We might just have a two-part episode here because yeah. I want to, you know, come back to the fact that we, we t- we're thinking about screens and stuff like that. But uh, if we come back to the point of is- social isolation and stuff, if you even think about if you do go to the shops, there's not a checkout person to talk to anymore. It's not just in the technology. It's even when we do try to make an effort. Yeah. You go to the movies, you can you buy your ticket without speaking to anyone. Yeah. You know, so even in those settings where there are opportunities, we're even further mm-hmm. uh, trying to simplify and make it easier, as you say, but it's actually costing us something. Now, uh, that, that's all really great and convenient, but I look at my kids, and, and hopefully they don't listen to this podcast, but, you know, their ability to have a conversation like we would have conversations, it's it's much more difficult for them mm. because they're so used to, I'll reply when I want to on my screen mm. or when I've thought about what I want to say. I, I don't need to engage. Now, you know, um, my kids are in a, a little bit older, so they're probably in a, in a generation that was sort of halfway between the two. But I look, I hear, what I hear commonly from parents of younger children today is they actually don't know how to engage mm. with other people. They don't know how because they don't do it in the supermarket. They don't. You know, they really don't do it anywhere. And in fact, if I said something nice to the McDonald's drive through lady, it's like, oh, dad, why do you have to always talk to people? <laughs> no, and they're serious yeah. about it. They're yeah. deadly serious about it. It's like it's embarrassing that I talk to people. So this is the, this is the same environment where and, – and you can see how this would happen where people would find themselves asking the question – you know what? Why would I get up, get in the car, go to church, and sit in an auditorium with a whole bunch of people, and you know, sing songs and listen to a guy speaking when I can jump onto YouTube? Uh, this is the consumer mentality that, this, that yeah. this can feed. I can jump onto YouTube and listen to some of the best presenters in the world. Do it probably in less time and and a hundred times better. You have people asking that question: Why would you do that? When? This is exactly why you should do that, right? <laughs> because it's not about uh, how good the sermon is or how good the music is, or it's that that very act of getting in the car, turning up, being in a space with lots of different people, and being part of a movement that is consists of a number of people demonstrating for the same thing, and that's. I often refer to our church services like a public demonstration. I think there's something intangibly important about people gathering Mm -hmm. uh, and singing together in one accord. Now, I I realize in our world, it's very difficult for us to see, you know, sort of quantify the benefit of that. But being together in a room with a whole lot of Mm -hmm. people singing songs, we should never let go of that Mm -hmm. in a a society where, you know, oh, now you listen to people that are good singers and, and no, no. It's healthy for us to sing together into one accord, quite apart from the fact that we're singing praise and worship to God and we're, we're aligning our hearts. The sense of sort of communal synergy or, or what I would refer to as confluence, uh, confluence is, you know, one one river joining with another, right, yeah. and flowing, you know, together. This sense of not only confluence with God, but with each other, this sense that we all flow together. It's this sense of connectedness. And we connect based on uh, who we are in God, our fundamental identity. This is the church spaces where we revisit what is fundamental about uh, our, our humanity. There is nothing more human than connecting together as a human family to acknowledge God the Father mm. as his children. Mm. That is like the basic moment of revisiting our humanity. 
quite apart from anything else that happens mm. uh, in that space. The very environment that would have people asking, why would I bother, or that would work against people even wanting to gather, is the very environment, I think, that accentuates the necessity of that very thing. Totally. Yeah. 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 It's interesting in the research, there's a lady called Baha. I don't know anything more about her. She's a licensed psychotherapist. And there's been a number of conferences looking at how we make the best out of AI rather than just mm. focusing on the negative stuff. And interesting, she's secular as far as I can tell. So her advice is for folks is to engage the five senses as much as possible. Get out into the natural environment. Remove tech from your life for 10 minutes, then an hour, then a day, then maybe two days. Keep growing mm. that, the amount of time that you, you reduce tech. Reduce technology at all levels and include alternatives connect with real people stop going to church online you know it was mm. one of the things she said yeah. you know get with real people she said start to treat tech as an external part of you that you have control over yeah rather than right. as something that controls you which is all yeah. good but society we're creating won't let you do that but that's where i think what matt's saying is the church we need to model something different yeah and it, yeah and that's where this polarization or, or clear change is going to happen, I think, of where we have to be conscious and it's going to cost us something. There's two worlds we can live in. Mm. And it, it's not an all or nothing. You know, it's not do we disengage from all technology. Yeah. That's not what we're saying. But there is actually a, a deliberate choice you've got to make mm. to engage in one mm. world over another. We've actually got to become conscious of the underlying problem, which is, I think, what we're trying to do here and yeah. we're talking about, become yeah. really, and take, because I think we're kind of asleep at the wheel a little bit. And after we we did our podcast last time, I had some conversation with people a few days after, um, just talking about what we were talking about. And people are kind of they're fixated on one technology versus another, but it it's trying to show people where this can lead us as mm. a society. Mm. Everybody I talked to about it was kind of really quite disturbed because they could actually see how easily and how much we're already well down mm. the road mm. into this. But it was like a light being turned on. Mm. And it's like, well, we've got to turn the light onto this. That allows us actually use technology in a more healthy way. But then I think we've got to make a deliberate choice to not allow ourselves to be consumed by it in the way that the world wants us mm. to be consumed because it's creating that dependence where you can't get off. Mm. And once once you're on it, it has that control over you. The more that you are connected, the harder and more costly it is to get off. Mm. And so I think this is where I think from a Christian perspective, and I haven't seen much from the Christian commentary side of things mm. that sort of says what we sh what we should be doing about it and it's made me think about it too like from ourselves as a church we meet on a sunday and a lot of people that's what our, our view mm. of of community is it's gathering on a mm. sunday but it's like we need to be thinking about much more purposefully right. yeah. i think what does it mean to actually start to restore this idea of community and connectedness mm. that was actually what god plan for us yeah. in the well, first let me, place. Can I, and yeah. then I'll get you to close because yeah. I just yeah. want to, I've, as I've been studying the, the last couple of days and I've been doing the research as well, I've been asking myself the question, so what do I do? Because I think sometimes yeah, we right. think, oh, this yeah. is a problem someone else needs to kind of tell me what to do. And I, I, I moved away from 
instead of what I'm not going to do, instead of the don't do this, it's actually do more of this. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And so instead of don't be on your phone so much, because then it's like, okay, well, what should I do now? It's actually find other things. Yeah. that I, And so it's like, I'm actually going to set aside a certain number of hours in a week that I want to meet with someone yeah. face to face. I'm actually going to make the time to go, hey, let's grab a coffee or let's go for yeah. a walk or, you know, it's a simple thing. But rather than trying to stop doing things, I want to start doing more of other things. Yeah. 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 And 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 I would I would add to that, and I think this is uh, this is the opportunity here because times of polarization, as you describe it, have often been great times for the kingdom. You know, because as I keep saying, the light shines brightest in the darkest in 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 the darkness. And I think this is where the church has something really unique because th- this connectedness because we're in a world where people are presenting themselves in a certain way and and what it causes is this real loneliness behind that then because I don't have a sense that I am known and accepted by someone when I know things about myself that are unacceptable right now what the church creates and well let me say what the church should create and I think this is something that that I feel very much been feeling that the is important lately is is an environment where people are connecting not just on the surface level but to do what you know James in in his epistle tells us to do confess your sins to one another to have the kind of relationships that allow us in other words to be vulnerable and to share our failures and our to share our struggles this is something and I you know I mean I was reading something talking about AI doing therapy you know with an AI no no but you don't what you don't get from that is a is a relationship where someone hears the worst about you but loves you and affirms you. That sense of grace, I don't see you in terms of your behavior because we can often do that with ourselves. Because remember, we are created to reflect the image of God to each other. Our role is to reflect who we are to each other. And as Christians, we take that another level, right? Because we are a community. Where I describe the church like a hospital, right? We're all we're all these, you know, broken, sinful people, and yet what we do in our journey of recovery is that we confess our sins to one another. We are vulnerable with each other, and yet we love and accept in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Thrive Perspectives. Our hope is that these discussions will challenge you to look at life from a new perspective. You'll find all our resources at the Thrive Today website, thrivetoday.tv. If there's a topic that you'd like us to discuss, please email us. Our email is contact at thrivetoday.tv. Until next time, our prayer is that you will thrive.